Broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Women's Telehealth, whose mission is to bring scarce, high-risk maternal fetal medicine services to patients and referring obstetricians in their own community, urban or rural. Visit womenstelehealth.com for more information. Now, here are your hosts, Tanya Mack and C.W. Hall. What is up, Tanya Mack? Well, evidently what is up is that the pollen does not stop at Labor Day. <laughs> the pollen count the is pollen up. The pollen count is up. You that got any Claritin sure. D for me? Well, I wish I'd die. I, I or took my version dose for of this that. morning. So for all of you out there, our topic today, as you can guess from our banter, is fall and winter allergies. And we have one of the local experts, well, kind of national. He's been on the Learning Channel TV show. He's been on the Weather Channel. We have visiting us in the studio, Dr. David Redding from Redding Allergy and Asthma Specialist. Welcome, Dr. Redding. Good to be here. Yeah, good to see you back. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Redding and a little bit about why we picked our topic today. Dr. Redding is a native Atlantan with a medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia. He's board certified in internal medicine, allergy, and immunology. He completed his residency at the University of South Carolina and his fellowship an adult and pediatric allergy and immunology from the University of Texas. He's also in practice with his identical twin brother, Alan. We have one of the two here. And they are in the Buckhead area of Atlanta, one of the allergy capitals of the world. And they do some unique things in his practice, which he's going to tell us about. Um, but the reason we picked the topic today is exactly what I said. Evidently, the pollen doesn't stop at Labor Day. Um, we are all still running around the southeast and here in Atlanta sneezing. And we're going to find out what the culprit might be today. The CDC reports that over 50 million Americans suffer annually from allergies. And almost 75% of the people that have reactions in the spring also have a repeat reaction in the fall and winter. I think we're going to hear that ragweed is one of the culprits. And um, it's kind of getting maybe a little bit more so with our extended warming and it's now like 80 degrees in Atlanta uh, at, in November 1, right, Dr. Redding? That's right. I believe it was a, a record in recorded temperature <laughs> history in Atlanta over the last week. Yeah, I believe that. So um, probably that just adds to further blossoming of our problems. But let's start in at the very beginning and talk about what is causing our allergy misery and what actually happens in the body when we encounter an allergen that we're sensitive to. Well, the reason some people have allergies and some people don't is because Everybody has antibodies, which are very important proteins that are meant to fight microbial infections like bacteria, viruses, parasites. But there are some people who form antibodies to proteins in otherwise harmless structures such as pollen, dust mite, cat hair. Some people form antibodies to these proteins that are not actually disease-causing microbes. And if somebody forms antibodies to these proteins and then encounters those proteins again, the proteins in pollen or cat hair or dust mite or certain molds will bind to these antibodies, which then stimulate cells that are called mast cells, M-A-S-T, in the body, that everybody has mast cells. And when mast cells become stimulated, they release their contents, and many of the contents of a mast cell, such as histamine, cause nasal congestion, runny nose, itchy eyes, eye-watering, as well as lung inflammation in people who have asthma and sometimes can exacerbate skin inflammation as well. Okay. And when, when you're looking at um, the, the proteins, I'm curious, what makes, is it a, 
a, a shape or size similarity between those two that proteins that makes protein. your body go, oh, wait, that's a, that's a bad guy. Yes, that's somewhat true. That It's the, actually the IgE antibody that binds to the proteins in pollen, dust mite, cat that causes allergies. And the in, original purpose of the IgE antibody is actually to bind to parasites so that your body can eliminate parasites. Parasites aren't much of a problem in the United States anymore, but they are still a major problem in many parts of the world. Uh, what we don't know is why the body allows these IgE protein, these IgE antibodies to uh, form to these harmless substances such as pollen and cat or dust mite uh, when they should be uh, forming against parasites. The thought though, the theory is that when your body is not constantly being encountered by parasites, the your body kind of gets bored and the IgE antibodies <laughs> get kind of bored. I was bored. just sitting here thinking that. That's awesome that you yeah, said that's that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they get bored and then they... They're kind of cruising around like, looking yeah, for they, something. They, they look exactly. for a fight. <laughs> right. And they bind to these otherwise harmless substances, which can then cause allergies. So it, it is interesting because we do know that in countries where there are a lot more parasitic uh, infections in people, such as parts of Africa and as as well as um, mainly in tropical countries, they don't have as many allergies. So that, that's what... That's what uh, gives substance to that theory holds true if they come here uh, no well once they come here they, they are prone to developing allergies once they're not in countering parasites right. interesting yeah pretty interesting well let's talk about what's happening right now in the fall so i kind of alluded to ragweed but am i right on that or not kind of what are some of our fall unique why are we having this we kind of tend to think in the spring when things bloom we're kind of done Yes, that's right. A lot of people actually have more allergy symptoms in the fall than the spring in Atlanta. And I'm, I, I am one of those people who has always had more problems in the fall. And ragweed is a major pollen that is prevalent in the air in Atlanta in the fall. However, there are many other weed allergens in Atlanta in addition to, to ragweed. And there's also a tree pollen, elm pollen, pollinates in the fall as well. And there's also some mold spores in the air that are probably due to, to, to the leaves on the ground that release mold spores in the air. So there's still plenty of allergens out in the fall. Ragweed is a major allergen, but there's, there's many other weeds such as lamb's quarter, marsh elder. There's just probably 15 or 16 weeds in addition to ragweed that are, that are major inducers of allergies. Mm -hmm. So for fall, we're having a weed blossom. But as we kind of move into, I heard you mention falling leaves, as the leaves come down and we all move inside for the winter allergy season, I know you're, you're kicking up that too. What are the triggers there? Is it, you mentioned mold, is that the primary one? That's not really the, the primary one. It would be more dust mite okay. and, and pet allergens and people who have pets because and we're inside. maybe allergic. That's right, because you spend more time indoors. Uh, mold allergy is, is still certainly a problem in the winter because mold spores don't really have a major season. So there's plenty of mold spores in the air in the winter. There's also some mold spores in everybody's indoor dwellings. That doesn't necessarily mean your house has a mold problem, but there's always some mold spores in the air. That's just part of living on Earth. And if you're indoors more, you may be uh, around those particular uh, allergens more, especially dust mites, because that is almost exclusively an indoor allergen because dust mites collect where humans and animals sleep mainly or spend time on the sofa. And they are not the most major part of house dust, but they do, they are a contributor to house dust and they are live microscopic creatures that 
they do not spread disease such as bacterial infections and they don't actually get on the body and eat anything on your body but they do ingest skin cells that have flaked off the body which inevitably happens when you sleep and when animals sleep so they tend to collect in your bed or on your sofa and people who are allergic to dust mites do tend to have more problems in the winter just because they spend more time indoors being exposed to dust mite. Yeah. So I heard you mention some of the symptoms of this allergy season we're in and continuing on being nasal dripping, congestion, runny eyes, runny nose, red eyes. Um, anything else that you see pretty frequently? Uh, Those kind of sound like colds to me. I'd like you to kind of <laughs> talk about that and then also help us distinguish how can we tell the difference between a cold and an allergy response? Yeah, that's right. So when you're just coming down with nasal symptoms, within one or two days, it's often impossible to distinguish between is this a cold or is this allergies? And I'm including myself in that. Sometimes I haven't been able to figure it out within about 48 hours. But after a couple of days, typically allergies will cause relatively more runny nose than a, a a cold will cause runny nose and congestion. Allergies often cause a little more runny nose than congestion. However, allergies can cause both. But usually if, when, if you have a cold by two or three days, you feel a little worse overall. You're a little more tired than, uh, than you would be with allergies. Allergies can definitely make your whole body feel under the weather. They can make you feel a little systemically sick in addition to congestion and eye symptoms. But if you have a cold, you usually feel a little worse, a little more run down than you do with allergies. But really, within two days or so, it's kind of indistinguishable. And also, after four or five days, if if you're no better at all, then it's more likely to be allergies because usually if you have a cold, you're, you're usually improved by day seven of your symptoms, whereas with allergies, you're often not improved on. by seven. Yeah, they yeah. kind of never go away. Right. Okay. Now, I know that um, allergies and asthma are often linked like if you have a tendency of toward one, you have a tendency toward the other. So what is that link? And do is does this allergy season represent a trigger or a challenge to asthma patients? Yeah. So if you have allergies, you are at increased risk for having asthma. That's true in adults and children. There are many people with allergies who don't have asthma. But if you have allergies, you're at higher risk for having asthma. And if you have asthma, you often will do worse during the times of the year when your nose is doing a lot worse or your eyes are doing a lot worse because that the epithelial cells in your nose and in your lungs often react the same way. So if you're having a lot of nasal symptoms, often you're having more asthma symptoms. And there's also evidence that if you help your nasal symptoms, that will secondarily help your asthma symptoms as well. That goes back to the one airway theory of uh, people who you may not even change their asthma medicine, but if you help their nasal symptoms, their asthma gets better. Oftentimes, one person just knows that uh, he or she is a lot, their asthma is a lot worse in the spring, and they often have to take more asthma medicine in the spring, but in other times of the year, they don't take as much asthma medicine. Or one person may have more asthma symptoms in the fall, and they know in the fall they need to increase their dose of asthma medication or take a daily controller medicine for three months, whereas the other months they may not need to. So this sounds like uh, hearing you talk about adjusting medicine and what people get used to as they know what their problem is, like from season to season for allergy sufferers and asthma patients, does it seem to be a repetitive thing or is it just one season could be horrible and one season could be like, no problem this year, I don't know why. 
Yeah, so definitely people who may not have a constant pattern every year. So there are some people who some years they do worse in the spring, some years they do worse in the fall. And sometimes it's just impossible to predict. Some people do equally bad in the spring and fall. So with some people, it's not necessarily just one season for 10 years that, that they their season their symptoms are confined to. Okay, well, that's interesting. But we don't know why, we don't know why that is. I suppose you get how you respond, yeah, and what happens with the pollen that year, how bad it is that year, for sure. Well, I'd like to change our focus to some treatments for the allergy sufferer and kind of go by category. So I heard you say earlier that ragweed is hard to avoid just walking around and living in the South, and I know it travels by air, so it could be not even bad here, but uh, we get it blown in for whatever. So what can we do for patients to help get some relief from the pollen type allergy problems? Well, now there are many over-the-counter options that were not available 15 years ago that are available now. Mm -hmm. So I can summarize the different options for over-the-counter treatment. Mm -hmm. Oral antihistamines, such as Zyrtec, Claritin, or Allegra, those are the long-acting antihistamines that can last 24 hours and are generally not sedating or mildly sedating. Those can help nasal congestion, runny nose, eye-watering, eye-itching. They tend to help more with runny nose more so than congestion. So some people need to take additional medicine to help with congestion. Nasal steroids are proven to help more with congestion than oral antihistamines. So a lot of people take both an oral antihistamine and a nasal steroid. And there are now three nasal steroids available over the counter. There's fluticasone, which is called Flonase or Claronase, I believe, is a new one. And now there's also Nasacort and Rhinocort. They're all three excellent antihist- excellent nasal steroids, and they're probably equally effective. Uh, there's some subtle differences in taste and odor, so some people may prefer one over the other. They're all about the same price, typically $15 to $23, depending on the size. And they are safe to use every day for several weeks or months at a time. These nasal sprays are not addictive, and I want to contrast that to Afrin or oxymetazolone, which is a generic Afrin, which is a wonderful drug for quick relief of nasal congestion, whether it's from allergies or a viral cold. Afrin or oxymetazolone is generally best not to use it for more than more than seven days in a row because your nose can kind of get addicted to it, where if, you're, if your nose is not getting the Afrin, then it gets real congested. So how do you um, wean off of that? <laughs> well, <laughs> so I know people that have done that. I've Absolutely. Right. Yeah. If you use... Because you, you want to breathe at night. And so you yeah. think, oh, this uh, I've avoided a doctor <laughs> visit. I want to breathe at night. But now it's like, crap, I can't get rid of it. Yes. Yeah. So and, how um, do you do that? If you've been using Afrin for weeks, uh, then the best way to, to get off it is to see an allergist or otolaryngologist, which is an ENT surgeon. That's a different specialty from uh, allergy, but uh, either either of us can prescribe about five or six days of oral steroids, mm-hmm. prednisone, and to that- kind of shrink it down. Yeah, that, that allows you to come off the Afrin without having a lot of uh, bothersome nasal congestion. Mm-hmm. So it's something we can easily do, uh, but um, I like to keep Afrin in my in my medicine cabinet just to use if I have a cold or if you're getting on an airplane and your nose is really congested and you want relief within an hour, it's great. Uh, nasal steroids uh, definitely help nasal congestion, more so from allergies rather than colds. And one key thing to remember about nasal steroids is you have to really use them for two or three weeks to give it a fair trial of use because 
They may not make a dramatic improvement within three days, but when you're initially starting them, you should use them for three to four weeks. And when you do use it later, use nasal steroids for at least three or four days at a time. Uh, I like to spread it out by doing one spray per nostril twice a day, or if your nose is doing better, you can do one spray per nostril once a day. Uh, there are some prescription nasal steroids out there as well. They tend to be a little more expensive than the over-the-counter. There are also prescription nasal antihistamine sprays, which allergists also use frequently, which also help nasal congestion more than oral antihistamines. Uh, these are prescription only. They're totally safe. They're not addictive. Uh, I often prescribe nasal antihistamine sprays in addition to nasal steroid sprays, uh, so people use both. There's actually one drug uh, called Dimista, which is a combination of a nasal antihistamine and a nasal steroid which is great because it's just more convenient to do. Do you have to use them back to back? Can you use them back to back? You have to like separate them out. You, you okay. can actually use them back to back. Okay. You can do a nasal, one spray per nostril of a nasal steroid, then do one spray per nostril of the, of the nasal antihistamine spray. Or if, if your insurance company will adequately cover the combination drug uh, called Dimista, you can just uh, do one spray per nostril and that way you get both drugs in each, in each spray. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, Benadryl. I, I certainly must mention Benadryl. It is effective at treating uh, nasal allergies. Again, runny nose more so than congestion. Uh, but I don't recommend people just take Benadryl throughout the day, every day, long term, because it, it, it can be sedating. It has a higher side effect profile than uh, the long-acting antihistamines such as Zyrtec, Claritin, and Allegra. But if you, if you do need help sleeping occasionally, Benadryl does have the benefit of giving you a good uh, sleep aid. So it's a safe sleeping pill that can also help your your allergies if you take one of those at night. Mm -hmm. Okay. One question I had as I heard you kind of run through the meds, both prescription and over-the-counter, was is there some kind of percent that's kind of standard that people can manage allergies themselves versus going to see a specialist? And if they do need to see a specialist because they need something prescriptive or they just need the problem diagnosed, what's kind of the cutoff point that they know they should go see a specialist? Yeah. So if somebody has symptoms for 10 days out of the year and they take the over-the-counter over drugs that I mentioned and they have good control of their symptoms, they don't really need to go see a, a specialist such as myself, an allergist, because they have pretty good control for 10 days, using the medicines for 10 days is not that big of a hassle. But if somebody's having symptoms for several weeks in the spring or more, or as well as several weeks in the fall or more, or, the, or in the summer and winter, there are a lot of people who have symptoms year round and they don't like having to use the medicines every day because it's a minor hassle to get to buy medicine every month and to use it every day, or the medicines just aren't helping because there are a lot of people out there that these medicines that I just mentioned really don't help that much. And that is because to get approval for by the FDA uh, for benefit of a drug, you, you don't need to show a drastic improvement such as 90% improvement in symptoms to get approval, generally a 25% symptom reduction. And a lot of people will, will allow the FDA to approve the drug. So there are a lot of people out there who may only get 25% benefit from the drugs, which is not getting, to, getting them to where they want to be, or they get no benefit at all, uh, or they just don't like having to use, the, use these drugs for months during the year. Uh, I'd encourage them to make an appointment with a board-certified allergist because we can do allergy testing, which is painless now. It's not like it was in the 1970s and, and 80s, which so was So let's talk about that now. So why don't you tell us what is current with allergy testing? Like what actually happens when people go in? With, with allergy skin testing, uh, a patient 
uh, simply makes an appointment. They come into our office and usually we do the skin testing on the arms. If the if it's an older child or an adult, we'll do it on the arms. And uh, we usually do not use needles. We just use a little plastic prick device. So it's just a gentle prick. It's almost a little tickle on the, the front part of the arms. And we test to different allergens with each prick. So uh, generally you get tested to about from anywhere from 24 to 72 different pricks, depending on how old you are and which allergy office you're going to. And each prick contains a different allergen, such as cat, dust mite, different mold species, different pollen species. And it takes about five minutes to do the test. And then you just wait in the exam room for 20 minutes while your arms, while the skin will react or may not react to that allergen. So you're basically just hanging out for 20 minutes where you can look at your cell phone or read a magazine. So uh, it's no longer painful. Mm -hmm. And then when you get the results back, say I'm allergic to mold, cat hair, and dust mites, and CW is allergic to shellfish and something else. So then how would you, uh, since I've already determined, yes, I found out I am allergic to something. Obviously, I've been suffering for a while. It's not my 10-day in two seasons kind of time frame. Then what happens? You go into allergy shot mode or what? Uh, yes, we, we give the patient a list of what they tested positive to. And, mm -hmm. and when you test positive, what that means is you form a little small raised area on the skin that's often red and itchy for about 20 minutes. And, uh, and depending on how many of those positive tests you have uh, and which allergens you're allergic to, we would recommend uh, immunotherapy or allergy shots if you are not getting good help from the medicines or you don't want to depend on the, on the allergy drugs all the time. And immunotherapy is a truly disease-modifying treatment. Immunotherapy is generally allergy shots, which do not go into the muscle. So they're shallow shots with a very short needle that just go into the subcutaneous tissue in the back of the arm. So yes, they are shots, but they're not nearly as painful as getting uh, shots that go into the muscle, such as vaccines. It's like an insulin shot. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to that. They're correct. And people give ins insulin shots to themselves multiple times per day uh, for, for their whole life. Uh, allergy shots are, are fortunately not nearly that frequent. And now we have a great schedule called rapid or rush schedule that some allergists such as myself are using, which allows the patient to get built up to their maintenance dose, which is the goal therapeutic dose in a much more convenient manner that greatly reduces the trips to the doctor's office to get the shots. Uh, we do recommend that allergy shots are given in a physician's office because there's a slight risk of allergic reaction to the allergy shot, systemic allergic <laughs> <Ironic>. reaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you overdosed kind of, yourself you when you're going to fall out. Yeah. And uh, most of that risk of having a, a potentially severe allergic reaction is 30 minutes. That's why we have you wait 30 minutes in our office. But the beauty of the rapid or rush schedule is you only need to come in w about once a week for about six weeks to get built up to your maintenance dose rather than once a week for five or six months, which is how it was in the 70s and 80s and 90s. So if you're thinking about allergy shots, don't get discouraged if you remember somebody from your childhood or, or maybe even you yourself did allergy shots when you were young and you remember having to go all the time to the doctor's office. The rapid schedule is just a lot more convenient than that. And what that uh, entails is you are in our office for five hours for the first day and we just rapidly escalate the dose and then you're in our office for three hours another day. 
and we escalate the dose. And that's, there's some variations depending on which allergist office so you get to. You're kind of loading the patient up and monitoring them. Right. And it's not an uncomfortable experience because usually you're in a comfortable room with a comfortable chair. You can do work, work on your computer, talk on the phone. You're using a private room where you can actually get work done so or watch a movie or read or relax. So it's, it's not an unpleasant experience. Uh, there are no IVs involved or uh, any sort of uh, major restrictions like that. And then once once people get built up, are they on maintenance? Or like, what's the maintenance kind of program? Yes, the, the maintenance program is getting an allergy shot once every two to four weeks. Uh, we, we try to space it out every four weeks because that's what's most convenient for the patient. And we recommend that a person do that for a total of at least three years because we know that when you stop the allergy shots, Generally, you're much more likely to get long-term improvement from allergy shots if you do them for at least three years as compared to one year or two years. The beauty of allergy shots is it they help you after you stop doing the shots. So this is not a lifelong commitment. We like for people to do them for at least three years, and then you can stop. And usually you're better for years to come after that. So it's, it's disease-modifying in that you do it for a while, then you stop it, and you're permanently better. Whereas the, the drugs are can certainly be helpful when you're using them, but they don't provide any long-term disease-modifying benefit. Not the underlying cause. Correct. When right. you so stop it's somewhat curative. Right. That's it right. Immunotherapy curative. actually alters the immune response to the allergen, which can be a permanent alteration. Mm -hmm. So you don't react to the allergen in the future. Does it is it specific that treatment to that particular allergen, or are we muting my immune response such that? Am I going to be, I, I know there's some drugs, I think they're aller, uh, asthma drugs that I've heard about that reduce your immune response so that you're more likely to get certain infections. They talk about that in their list. Is that the same thing here? Is the effect going to be the same or would it be I'm far less likely to have a big problem with dust mites? Oh yeah, that's an excellent <laughs> question. So one really nice thing about allergy shots is they don't generally, they don't suppress your immune system and make okay. you more susceptible to infections. Whereas oral prednisone or oral steroids and as well as injectable steroids do suppress the immune system and okay. can cause many other bad side effects. So allergy shots are so incredibly specific that they, they don't cause any kind of blanket suppression of the immune okay. system. It's very much of a, a smart bomb, so to speak. That Is it like a, are, are you compounding it to some extent? Uh, yes, that's exactly right. So we give the patient the allergens to which that patient is allergic from the allergy skin testing yeah. or the allergy blood testing. We were also capable of, of checking allergies with, with a blood test. They are tailor-made, custom-made to that particular patient. There are no drugs in the allergy uh, shots. They're purely sterilized actual extract from the actual mm -hmm. ingredient. So it's actually a 100% natural therapy. It's about as natural as therapy can get. Uh, there are no drugs or, or, or medication in the liquid allergy extract it's it's we're actually giving you minute amounts of what you're actually allergic to so your own body the, builds up the re, the tolerance to that so you're actually correct. helping and it say oh, okay fine i'll ignore you th that's correct yeah. yeah that's correct it's it's somewhat slightly similar to a principle called homeopathy in that you're giving a person the actual um substance to which they react to, but it's different from homeopathy because we use much higher doses than traditional homeopathy. But it's also slightly similar to a vaccine in that you're giving the body uh, the surface protein to which they react to, mm -hmm. and the person uh, will no longer react to it in the future, which is 
kind of similar to a vaccine, but there's still some differences. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I had two questions while you were talking. One is you mentioned that for skin testing for older children, um, you primarily test on the arms, but I know baby, you see babies also. What do you do for testing for babies? Yes, we we often just use the back because okay. it's just easier. It's bigger surface area. Bigger surface area and, and the, the child is <laughs> less likely to, to scratch or rub because mm-hmm. they can't they can't rub their back. Mm-hmm. And that's also painless. Uh, we don't use needles in babies either. We just do a little, little plastic prick on the back of the arm. The, the most nervous thing that happens to a baby is when the baby gets uh, just simply kind of turned on their stomach for five minutes and that they, they some uh, <laughs> don't that, like that position right but but the prick itself doesn't does not hurt at yeah. all okay another question i had was does insurance pay typically for like if i can't breathe will my insurance company pay for the whole if i'm not getting relief from otc or even short-term prescriptions will they pay for the skin testing for this um rapid desensitization method that you talked about Yes, allergy uh, skin testing is always a covered procedure by okay. every every insurance company in Georgia, as well as all other states. The immunotherapy is almost always covered by every insurance company. There's one ins- one private insurance company this year that does not cover the rapid version of, of allergy shots, which is five hours and three hours. But most allergists, uh, such as myself, offer a, a very generous self-pay discount if you wanted to do the rapid method for that five hour day and three hour day. Mm-hmm. So most, we have ways to work around that. Okay, but, so the skin testing would be covered and then mm-hmm. the immunotherapy treatments would be covered almost universally. And then if you decided to do the shorter route, you may pay a little more out of pocket to get it times, that's your correct. time down. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And and I, just to, to clarify, when I say insurance companies cover things, that what I mean is that they they approve the procedure and they will they will pay for it or they have the patient pay for it depending on the benefits of the person's ins- uh, the deductible and coinsurance and all that. So a person still may have to pay something out of pocket to to have skin testing or to do allergy shots, but what they're paying would accrue towards their deductible or out of pocket maximum if it's a covered procedure. Okay. But yeah, some insurance companies will just they themselves will pay for the entire cost of skin testing and allergy shots if if you're if you have very good allergy insurance benefits. Well, I'll tell you, you hate to bring up cost when you talk <laughs> about procedures, but it's hard to escape healthcare without people having to shop and pay attention to these days to what their policies are for or what they what they don't have policies for. Um, we just have a few short minutes and I'd like to just touch on two other things so we can leave the listeners with some concrete strategies to deal with allergies as we head through the fall and into the winter. Do you have any recommendations for as people move indoors from fall to winter to kind of lifestyle changes or strategies. We've talked a lot about the medicine and the consults part, but just like everyday living to deal with mold and dust mites and kind of the indoor problems. Uh, yes. Yeah, so for to address the potential overgrowth or excess amount of mold that hopefully is not in your house or apartment or condominium, but you want to make sure there's no visible water damage. So if there is visible water damage then you need to consider the fact that there may be excess mold growth there. So you need to have that looked into. And if you see a visible mold on your drywall or on your ceiling or in your closet, you definitely need to have that removed. Now, it's also a good idea to wash your sheets and pillowcases on hot water or dry them on high heat because that will kill dust mites. Because many people are allergic to dust mites. It's one of the most common allergens out there. And you can 
reduce the amount of dust mites in your in your bedroom by simply using the hot water or high heat setting on your washer dryer. Also, you can uh, purchase inexpensive dust mite covers, which go over your mattress and over your pillow, and then you put your pillowcase over that and your sheets over that, which are simply uh, textile fabrics that have a very tight weave that prevent dust mites from moving back and forth between your sheets and your mattress or or under your pillow. And I I recommend that you uh, would purchase those from a specialty allergy company you kind of see on some uh, tags, like just shopping for pillows, a lot about hypoallergenic and certain kinds of products now we never used to see. Yes, that's true. And and I mainly trust uh, uh, two companies out there, Achu Allergy, as which is based in Atlanta, actually, and Mission Allergy, because I know that their products prevent dust mite movement. Uh, I don't trust all the companies out there that, mm-hmm. that market hypoallergenic or dust mite covers, because I... I'm not. I'm just not sure if they've actually done quality control to actually test to see if dust mites can move through the weave, or if they just produce something and say, "Oh, this this prevents this dust mites." Keep mite them moving. out. It's kind of a creepy right. subject, isn't yeah. it? The day after <laughs> Halloween is. We we tend to think our own beds. We're good. We're good. We don't have to worry about that. But I, we definitely can do things to help us. I think. What about changing air filters? A lot of people. Does that really affect? Yes, uh, the I'm, mold and the the dust mites at all. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that, that up. That are circulating so the, um, in your in your home, or what can we do with filters in the winter? So when the the filters, which are either in your uh, usually they're in the walls, sometimes are in the ceiling, and you have to of course look at the size of the filter and buy the right size, and make sure you write that down because inevitably you'll forget <laughs> when you go <laughs> to the, the hardware store. Every time I go to Home Depot, what size was that? Yeah, the so the more people that are on the house and the, especially the more pets there are in the house, the more frequently you need to change those filters. So if you do have pets, I, I would change the filter every month. If you don't have any pets and there's one or two people living there, generally every three or four months is adequate. Uh, but the, the more people there are, the more uh, pets there are, the more frequently you need to change the filter. So generally every one to four months, you should change that filter. And I would buy the slightly more expensive filters. So instead of $3, it's worth spending an extra $8 to buy a $12 filter that blocks smaller particles. So these filters have MERV ratings, which are MERV. And you want to try to get a filter with a MERV rating of eight or higher that traps smaller particles. They're just a little bit, a little bit more expensive. The allergy companies uh, that sell products sell these filters. You can also buy filters at, at your local hardware store. Or, or Home Depot. Very good. Well, uh, since we are about ready to turn on our heaters, if we haven't already, might be a good time to check the filter before we blow all that <laughs> icky stuff out into our homes um, as we start uh, into the colder weather. So believe it or not, we're to the end of our show. I know Dr. Redding's headed back to the office to see some patients. I want to thank you for being here today. And let's let the um, listeners know how to find you. Okay. My office is located in Buckhead. It's on Howell Mill Road. And it's actually uh, on the northern part of Howell Mill Road, near where it hits Northside Parkway. We're in a medical office building, three-story glass building called Paces Pavilion. We're very close to the West Paces Ferry slash Northside Parkway exit of I-75. So we're conveniently located at I-75. And you can generally get an appointment with us uh, very quickly. And there are two doctors in the practice, Dr. Alan Redding, who happens to be my twin brother, and, <laughs> and me, I'm David Redding. And your phone number? Our phone number is 404-355-0078. And 
You can also access our website at www.reddingallergyatl.com. All right. Thank you for that. So the message out there, listeners, is um, try it yourself. Go one route. But if you don't get relief, please don't suffer. There's a lot of good people in town that can help you. Dr. Redding being one of the top experts that we have in the Southeast. So appreciate you being here again. And CW, that's a wrap for today. Well, I appreciate you being here. It's a pleasure to meet you. And and certainly myself, I'm one of those folks I probably need to seriously consider evaluating the the, the the shots that you spoke of. If you've not done so already, get to womenstelehealth.com, learn more about the maternal fetal specialty care that they're able to provide to hospitals and physician practices around the region. And if you've not done so already on the show page, you'll see the Apple logo that'll take you to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast and you can subscribe to us. And that way each week, the new episode gets downloaded straight to your device for you automatically. And we hope you turn around and share this information on LinkedIn and the other social media platforms because you might just be giving somebody that you care about information that makes a big difference for them. So for all the folks that do that for us, we'll say thanks so much. And we really appreciate you making time for us, Tanya. Always great guests. I know. We always have a good time in here, and we've gotten some really good topics and specialists. Dr. Redding just being one, not just from Atlanta, but we've had national and regional people in. So um, we're, we're doing good, getting hopefully good information out there. Make sure you see us same time, same place next week. We'll catch you then. 